In a world in which academia has increasingly globalized and there is more and more a push for large-scale comparative international collaborations, Claudia Meliado is one of the great success stories in the field of communication and media studies. She has been able not only to publish profusely from her own work, but also has been able to build and manage very, very efficiently and successfully large-scale international collaborations that have changed the dialogue, in particular in the study of journalism. What is the art of collaboration? About this and many other related topics is this episode of El Café Latinx. What's the experience of being a Latinx scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalifa Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx communication across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome everybody to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I have a fabulous speaker with me today, virtually on the screen. I wish we could be sitting across a coffee table, but uh, we are sitting across uh, screens drinking our coffee uh, 10,000 kilometers apart from each other, but nonetheless with great connectivity. So I, I have a great pleasure of introducing a dear friend of mine, a scholar who I admire a lot, Claudia Meliado, who's professor at Pontificia Universidad Católica in Valparaíso, Chile. Claudia got her BA at Universidad de Concepción in her uh, country of Chile, uh, her doctorate in Spain at Universidad Pontificia de Salamanca, and did a postdoctoral training at Indiana University. Claudia is really one of the leading scholars in uh, Latin American studies of journalism and comparative studies of journalism. Uh, she's published more than 60 peer review articles. Just in 2020, six articles in some of the top venues in the field in the middle of the world's public health crisis in a century. So imagine what she could do if she, if she and all of us didn't have to deal with, with COVID. Um, on top of that, she uh, published an edited volume, Beyond Journalistic Norms with Rutledge. Um, which is her second um, edited volume. This second volume came out also in 2020. In addition to her uh, full-time position in Chile, Claudia has held visiting positions all over the world, including uh, in University of Arab Emirates, uh, in University in Qatar, uh, in Japan, at Sorbonne in France, NYU, Xinhua in China, Southern Denmark, Ireland, Amsterdam, you name it, top place in the world, Claudia has been there. Her work um, has gotten a number of awards 
And, um, you know, in addition to her own research program, she has been extremely successful at building international collaborations that have yielded lots of very interesting findings and, and publications, not only for her, but for a number of people across the world. She's truly one of the top players uh, in the field, not only, again, in Latin America, but also in other parts of the world. So welcome to El Café Latinx, Claudia. Thank you, Pablo. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So, so tell us, how did it all begin? <clears throat> how was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic? Well, this is a very nice question. So I think it's, it's a quite long answer, although you have said almost everything about me already, but I will try to, to think on a good I'll respond to that. Um, how could I say? Uh, you know, I, I, I would like to go to my to my past to understand uh, how uh, did I get here. I I grew up in a family of teachers and professors, so I I think I was uh, sort of a, sort of a immersed in in this specific environment since day one. I mean, my father was mathematician, a faculty member at a very prestigious university here in Chile. And my mom and, and her brother and sister were all old school teachers. Sometimes I needed to go with her to the school and other times I needed to go with my father to the university because there was no one that could take care of me. So I was always in the middle of classrooms and students. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that I wanted to be a professor from the beginning, of course, but I think it's it's something important to, to have in mind. But as far as I remember, I never wanted to be a journalist when I was a teenager, actually. I, I always wanted to be an actress. I just wanted to perform on a stage. Uh, but unfortunately, my mom, who just supported me in all my crazy projects, uh, she died when I was finishing high school. And, um, and my, my father, he, he didn't allow me to pursue that career. He told me, you know, you could apply to any career, but not to theater, not acting. So um, I was so mad, so obfuscated that I put on my application list a lot of options that I didn't even bother and journalism was randomly the first one. And I got in. <laughs> so at first, it was more about you know, pride. Like, you know, it was something like, I need to do this, uh, finish it to demonstrate that I'm able to do anything. Uh, but after two or three years, I, I fell in love completely with journalism. And the school where I studied was fantastic and uh, I'm happy of that because it made things much easier. Um, well, you said something about this already, but uh, I got my bachelor when I was uh, 21 and I went to work in, as a journalist uh, in El Mercurio, which is a very conservative, but a very good school, <laughs> a very good newspaper in Chile. I, I enjoy it, all what I learned there, but uh, very soon I, I realized that I, I wanted to see the world a bit and, and find a space in which I could feel free. And uh, I applied for a grant for scholarship to go abroad. At that time, I didn't speak a fluent English at all. 
So I directly applied uh, to a Spanish program and I, and I, I got the grant. And I ended up uh, actually studying two PhDs in Spain. One was uh, on the private and the other was on the public uh, University of Salamanca, which is a beautiful city. It's just an hour from there to Madrid or so. So both programs complemented very well. Uh, one was more about journalism and communication. The other was more about sociology and media. And well, I, I was uh, already writing my, my dissertation. Uh, and in the middle of my field work, I remember when I knew that uh, I was pregnant. <laughs> so imagine, I mean, along in a different country with a decent, but you know, still low payment from my grant and a dissertation to write. I mean, it was a lot in my plate. So I was quite happy though. I mean, I never thought I was going to be a mom and I couldn't say no. I, I wanted my baby from day one. Uh, so I started to, to, to find and think in a way to do uh, two in one. <laughs> so I, I decided to finish the PhD that um, was paying my grant, of course. And I had a lot of support, especially from two scholars, uh, Maria Luisa Humanes and Juan Cuegartua, uh, who hired me as a research assistant to get you know, more money to, to sustain everything. Um, they mentored me quite a lot for years and we are actually still very close. And we have been, I'm still working with one of them. So whatever, I, I finished my PhD on time, which is, was excellent. And I, and I felt so proud. I think I have never shared this with anyone. I mean, outside my family, but I, I, I'll be more than happy to to share it. I, I still remember uh, that I look at the ceiling of the building where I was, uh, I defended my thesis and with tears in my eyes, uh, I promised that I was not going to do something like that anymore in my life. And I was lying, of course, to myself. <laughs> I mean, but I was at that time. I was so sure that I, oh, I don't want to study anymore. This is too much. It was so crazy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, and then I, I uh, came back to Chile uh, and started to work uh, at the as assistant professor at the University of Concepcion, uh, a truly great institution. And one year after. I got married and then I decided to apply for a Fulbright to do a postdoc in the US and I got it. Uh, so my English was much better. So it was not a problem. And I, and I, I went to IU, Indiana University with Dave Weaver that most of the people know. Uh, he was another great mentor, by the way. Uh, and I, I, you know, uh, and you're going to laugh, Pablo, I, I don't know if I have told you this before, but a week before uh, we uh, traveling to Bloomington, uh, I knew I was pregnant again. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, well, this is, uh, it sounds familiar to me. I mean, let's go for another adventure. I mean, what do I do? I mean, I, Anyways, uh, it, it brings me a lot of um, uh, energy, it seems, when I'm pregnant, but you know, it, it was okay. And I'm very, very grateful of my time in Indiana. 
I learned a lot. I did a lot in Indiana, I imagine. <laughs> and I think that there is a, a before and after uh, in my career, especially because uh, I found exactly the topic I wanted to, to investigate and develop in my career as a researcher. So, well, I came back to Chile uh, and a year after I moved, I came to Santiago because I was living in Concepcion at that time. So I moved to University of Santiago, another great uni as associate professor. Uh, I mean, I got, we don't have a formal tenure in Chile, but it's a sort of tenure when you move uh, as associate from assistant to associate, right? So I worked there for five, six years uh, until I got uh, my current position as full professor at the Pontificia Universidad Católica de Valparaíso. And I, I, you know, a lot of people uh, said to me, why don't you just move abroad? And, or I don't know, I have, of course, some offers around and I, I, um, maybe at some point, but you know, uh, now I am very well here. I mean, they have been, amazing with me I mean, I love teaching and I, I do it every semester but uh, they I think they understood that research watched my life and uh, and they allowed me to spend most of my time uh, on that uh, just to finish my idea because this is maybe something relevant for other people to hear I mean the common pattern I, I I have you know through the years that I can see from especially my experience in the first two universities uh, I work for is that uh, I felt quite alone. I mean, uh, my colleagues were super good. I mean, splendid, but but they didn't uh, study the same I was doing. I mean, no one was studying journalism here uh, at the level I was doing uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it was not even popular. Most of the people were doing, you know, organizational communication or things like that, or you know, some effect, media effects or that type of things. and. Um, my colleagues uh, didn't pursue really to have an international career. Uh, and well, I, I, was, I was absolutely sure that that was a main purpose in my life. Uh, I, I think that I always found it so amazing to have this opportunity to interact with people that uh, from different places and background, people that, that feel and things very different to, to me and work with scholars that have these different experiences uh, to share that with them is just great. And, and maybe that's the reason I started to work in international projects and I started to build the international network I, I have developed, you know? So I don't know, just to say that during all this time, I, uh, I have found uh, great mentors in the world uh, that I haven't mentioned, I think. And, and I would like to especially mention um, Wolf and Donsbach who was a wonderful scholar and is actually was, uh, was a great inspiration to me and to a lot of people. I mean, he was one of the first that truly believed in my idea of studying the performance of professional roles in actual content while other people were saying that that was not possible. And he was one of the first members of our current project. And so, you know, he, you know that he died a couple of years ago uh, so we still miss him. It was a terrible loss. But here we are, I mean, feeling so grateful of being the paid for doing what I love. That's, that's the most fantastic thing, right?
Absolutely. Wow, what a great story, Claudia. I um, have lots of parts that I did not know. So, so let me go back to your years in Bloomington. You said that you found your topic there, mm. right? How, how did that happen? And how did you know that that was the topic, at least for a number of years? Well, uh, I was a journalist from the beginning, right? Uh, I worked as a journalist before, and, um, but uh, for different reasons uh, that I have just mentioned uh, before, uh, I didn't actually uh, write my dissertation on journalism. As if that's something that I didn't say before. I, uh, for different, you know, circumstantial uh, reasons, uh, I did it on organizational communication. Uh, it was great because I learned it a lot, but that was not my topic. So I, I did it, I finished it, and then I, I thought, well, I mean, this is not for me. I need to move quickly, go back to journalism because you know, I need to run, I don't have time, I need to be successful, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was 27, whatever, a crazy woman, just, I was just running against time. That's something that I regret. Anyway, I, uh, so I, I, I applied to, thanks to a friend that actually did his PhD in Indiana, Chris Codrick, which is a, a faculty member in Colorado. Uh, he introduced me with, uh, you know, uh, the Ed Weaver that I admired a lot and, and other people from, from that uh, great school. Uh, so I, I, I went there and then started to, I started to work with Dave. It was not easy at the beginning. Huh? He just, you know, analyzed me a lot <laughs> before, uh, you know, he approved me. I don't know how to say it, but it was a good, it was a good uh, test. And I, 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 I think I got his uh, you know, approval. So we started to work on that. And, and then I, I, I got, you know, inspired again. Not really about what he was doing exactly, because most of my work later has been a sort of a positive, constructive criticism to that school of thought. But it was the base. Uh, and, and I, and I, and the, the main, doesn't matter the angle. The thing is that what, what I was, having there all these experiences and also to share with so many people that I read only in books. <laughs> uh, it makes me feel very inspired until today. So it's that that's why I, it's just you feel it. I don't know how to explain it. It's, there's it's not something material. It's, it's just this persistent feeling that you are enjoying very much and that you 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 don't want to stop. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the same passion that transpires in the research to this day, right? It's, um, it's the same passion that transpires in your research, even to this day, that um, it, is, um, uh, it, it is something that is beyond the instrumental and beyond the intellectual, right? That, that, that really motivates you and drives you. Um, so, so how do you, find topics that is you started in one particular you know with one particular topic in the field recent years you you expanded and you moved to you know your work on social media uh, blurring goals blurring performances how how do you know when you have a great topic at hand 
right? How do you know that what happens? How, because you get exposed to a lot of ideas, right? Um, you travel a lot, you give a lot of talks, you, you know, publish, I mean, review, you are editor of, or associate editor of journal. How do you pick a topic beyond that one first topic? What has been like a common uh, experience when it comes to finding uh, your research, you know, uh, projects? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was told uh, when I was um, a faculty member, just, you know, junior faculty member of the University of Concepcion, um, no experience at all. Uh, one of my father's friends, uh, he was mathematician as well. He was in a very, um, you know, uh, important position at the university. Uh, so I, I, I needed to ask him a sort of, you know, in permission, formal permission to apply for my Fulbright. And why I'm telling you this is because he said to me, look, Claudia, you have potential, but you are so dispersed. I mean, you are doing so many things. This is not, this is not good for you. You just need to focus on one or two topics. That's it. That's you. Define it. And I did exactly what my, my tío, I will say, because it was, you know, close to my family, what he said to me, and I, I'm so grateful that he did, uh, because it, it, again, it changed the way that I, you know, confront all this. Uh, there are so many options, right? Every time, different topics, but I just pick something that uh, makes sense to me. Strategically also, as a, not only as a one project, as a research plan, something that will never end. So you can expand it. And, and, but if I wanna move, as you said, from one specific topic to other within that, I think that what it makes sense to me is when um, I can make good questions. <laughs> and, I, and those questions are relevant to explain not only a specific reality, you know, it's just, you can actually uh, come from different angles, from different perspectives. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, I think a lot before I uh, expand, you know, my, what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I have been always related to professional roles and journalistic cultures. And when I, for example, now, when I decided to even conducting our huge project on, on traditional media still, but when I decided to expand to social media, it took a lot of time for me to, you know, I wanted to be prepared because I, I, I don't like this, you know, uh, sort of a way to enter to the, some fields that you are not good on it or you don't have any idea. So I, I started, you know, very humble as people must be, in my opinion, humbly, you know, um, intellectually humble, trying to be taught by, by good people, you know, trying to learn from others until I felt prepare enough to start, you know, and to explore and then, you know, but uh, step by step, step by step. I, I think what I have in my favor is that, is that I, I, um, I always wanted to learn from the better people. So I don't have this internal concern about, you know, being the best. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I just, I just compete with myself. So that's a good, that, that's something that, be, that if, if you have it, it makes you 
happier because otherwise, I mean, you're screwed <laughs> in a way. So that's good because there are so many good people. I mean, so many good people in the field. So you can learn a lot. Right, that's absolutely true. And then there are not only so many good people in the field, but they work and are from very different parts of the world. So you are a true cosmopolitan, an intellectual cosmopolitan, uh, in, in at least two senses of the term in your practice. One is that, as you said, I mean, you do a lot of comparative work and you build the infrastructures for comparative research. Um, so that must make you aware and, and, and fluent in um, different cultures, different academic cultures, right? and different practices in different countries. And you've also taught in universities, you know, in the Middle East, in Asia, in Latin America, in Europe, um, in North America. So I was struck by your comment that, you know, you've had you know, opportunities to work overseas, but you decided to stay in Chile. And, um, and develop your career there, at least for now. Um, and so I wonder if through all of this cosmopolitanism, what your views are on the field of communication and media studies in different parts of the world, right? Um, and, and what are, in your view, the uh, might be the distinctive aspects of uh, the Latin American perspective or experience of the field? And how, mm. how is that received in other parts of the world? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think I, I always wanted to, as I said before, to have this opportunity to be connected. So I, I, I think it's a skill that I have that, but I'm not very aware of, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't prepare to be a, a leader of a project, you know, I, I I think it's very natural. I, I I like people. I think it's something that I uh, that I, I, the most important thing is that maybe other other scholars may think that well uh, that you know others are learning a lot about. I'm learning a lot. I mean, <laughs> I think it's, it's a gift for me. I am learning things that I never thought I was going to learn. I mean, just to be exposed to different cultures. Uh, in our project, at least, what we do is you know we train in person most of the time. So I need to be really connected. That means that last year, yeah, because this year, you know, with COVID impossible, I traveled 11 times, you know, transatlantic flights to do all the, you know, the training. It was crazy, yes, but it, may, it was worth it. I mean, it's it really, it was incredible. I cannot study a country that I don't have any idea of what it happened you know what's going on there so uh and, and then i i realized that i was learning more than anyone else <laughs> so uh, and that that's that's the part that i enjoy the most uh, and also because uh uh all our team is incredible but going back to to what you asked me about this uh how i see the difference well i think that there is clearly a a, a mainstream right and then it's all the rest is just the periphery. It's just you know, uh, it's peripheral uh, innocence. So it's, uh, it's different terms because uh, for for natural reasons we need to communicate in you know a global language, which is English. But even if it sounds very obvious, uh, that's not the language that a lot of people you know speak. 
let's just think and not even think in, I don't know, Middle East or, uh, or Eastern Europe, I'm thinking in Latin America. We have so many great people, so wonderful ideas uh, that no one will, from the outside, will know uh, if these ideas can be translated into English because they don't speak the language. So I, I think there is, yes, uh, differences in your opportunities and, uh, but also a lot of richness in terms of the different uh, epistemologies that they have. Uh, and it's, uh, and we, we, what it makes uh, more sense to understand the different cultures in, in our field because they are very unique in so many ways. Uh, yeah. So, and you know, as a woman from Chile, from you know the very southern tip of Latin America, um, what has been your, you know, overall, say, or some of the distinctive features of your professional experience in the in the academic circles? Um, anything from you know conferences to the review process. You know, people talk a lot about double standards, etc. Would you say that 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 has applied to you, or that there are particularities of your experience um, uh, because you are a woman from Chile, or uh, or not? That you mean that like a sort of a discrimination? Um, discrimination, or, or however, I mean a different way that you are treated differently in international circles, say that what you are treated in Chile. Yes. Uh, not now, but yes, yes, a lot before, especially in the first 10 years. Yeah, definitely. I, I, um, I will be alive, I say now. I have suffered discrimination, direct discrimination as a Latina and as a woman, uh, but and, and that's, that's there, you know? <laughs> That is there. It's, it's so terrible to say, but it's, it's, it's still there, very present. So for me, the, the, the main thing is how uh, do you feel about it? How you deal with this? And, and maybe, maybe one of the elements that have truly helped me um, is that I have never feel more, but I never feel less than the others. So my attitude when I um, I have you know suffered this any kind of these discriminations in all what you mentioned uh, is to ignore it and just move. I mean you cannot paralyze. I mean you need to keep moving. I know it's it's a way of you know living. The first of course my first experiences were uh, terrible. I was crying <laughs> uh, several times, but. Uh, here you need to take a decision that is what I think. I mean, this is beautiful and uh, being a scholar could be the best in your life, but this is not any work. This is a 24 seven endeavor and you are gonna maybe lose some years of your life <laughs> and you need to put a lot of your energy, especially if you are not from the center, you know? So I can assure you that to achieve what a mainstream American or European get as a scholar, even if I'm competing at the same level, I need to work the double, the triple. And that's the reality for all Latinos. And I'm not really, and not offense, but I'm not talking about Latinos that have been working in the US or Europe for all their lives. 
like you. I'm talking especially about the ones who stayed in their countries. You know, uh, and that's something that I have seen a lot, a lot. And it's, it's unfair, yes. I mean, I don't have three postdocs assistants <laughs> that can, you know, do all the work for me. I, I need to do it with my hands. And, and, and sometimes you share that with your colleagues and they look at you like, are you crazy? It's impossible. And no, it's not. I mean, you no, know, people from Latin America are incredibly hardworking. In our project, every time that we are, you know, finishing uh, our field work, all people from Latin America are the first one who finished. So it's, I think it's just, you need to really want that badly and, you know, and, and you know, make some efforts. Uh, and that's, that's something that is, it's not going to change from one day to another. And I don't think it's good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. Okay, but I'm curious, you said that you, that things have changed in the recent years, right? That you have not suffered uh, from this more recently. Why is that? Why do you think that's the case? Well, I, I think that is because um, I, I don't know, when I started, no one knew anything from me, right? Uh, how could I say this? There was no one in the field, you know. I, you know, I was clearly an unknown person, and I'm not saying that now I'm very well known, but at least, you know, I have my space, and I, and I, I, I have, I have proof, you know, <laughs> to the center that uh, um, I, I can do a very good work. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how to respond to that because. What I re what I still feel though is that this mainstream, let's call it that in that way, just it's always testing you, you know, testing you, testing you, you know, pushing you in a way, and you need to make the double effort always, uh, in any way. But uh, they open the door to you, and it's 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 some very metaphoric way to say that you always will feel different. But that is not necessarily bad. I mean, I am different, <laughs> of course, and I'm very happy to <laughs> to be a different person. I mean, we cannot be the same, all of us. And that's uh, and, and I'm not going to change the system by myself, only me. But uh, yes, I have feel that, and uh, and I I I I won't die. I, I mean, I won't lie. I I I don't feel bad on that. I mean, it's just I just you need to get used to it basically. Okay. So, so if somebody, because you've been very, very successful at, you know, building collaborative infrastructures, if, if somebody wanted to start uh, a research program or career that involves, you know, cross national collaborations, in particular large scale ones, like the one you, once you've led, what are the two, three main pieces of advice that you would give that person? You mean that if uh, they want to start an international project? Yes. A collaborative project rather than themselves, you know. Yeah. Well, first, uh, first of all, to attend a lot of conferences. <laughs> and that they need to know first, you know, how this works, who are part of the field, and just, you know, just 
get used to that uh, you're going to be rejected a lot of times, and that then you're going to be accepted, and that this is nothing personal. And there, there are a lot of good people around that are uh, exactly like you, <laughs> uh, looking for uh, exactly things that you are looking for from just from another country, and then uh, trying to pick the more international conferences, maybe. Or, uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't know you, but I always think that you are a more ICA or a more IMCR, a more agency person, you know? In my case, I am clearly more ICA. Uh, that's, that's, that, that is like this. Uh, and we need much more internationalization. Well, that's, that's another topic, but uh, still, you can find a lot of people that can, uh, uh, you know, help you to create uh, some networks, but it's not uh, something that you are gonna get from one day to another, not from one year to another. You need to be persistent. And, uh, and it's not that you are looking for people like a, you know, detective. I mean, this is just, it's natural. I mean, I, I think that you need to, of course, do things, for example, uh, be close to uh, or, or just to approach people that are interested in this type of topics, but just you know, give it some time and just uh, try to find a way to uh, create these connections. But then you need to be uh, very uh, organized and uh, be aware that uh, you know that you are going to spend a lot of time in administrative things. It's, it's just. Uh, it's research administration, but it is a lot. So you need to be aware of that before, not after. If you are able to deal with that, I think this is this could be the best experience. But if that is gonna, you know, just you know, uh, driving you crazy, it's better than you, you know, just pick <laughs> uh, something different because uh, comparative uh, research is much more challenging than you know individual work. It just depends on you, but this is, and then you are responsible for the others. Although they, they haven't said that, but it's just, you have it in your mind and you think, oh, I cannot, you know, let them down. And if, so it's, it's a quiet, uh, it's like your family at the end. So it's, it's a very, you know, uh, special journey. I, uh, but if you get the love, you will never move from there, but uh, more than uh, specific advices, like technical ones, I think that you can learn all of that. This is very easy. It's more than uh, to know that this is going to be a long-term relationship with anything. And that it needs a lot of work, maybe more than the other type of work sometimes. Okay. And so... Our last question to wrap up is um, goes back to the field. You know, if if you had magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies uh, to change, what would you wish for? Mm. Well, a lot, a lot of things, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think we don't have time to. To talk for two more hours. Uh, but if I could think in one specific aspect, um, well, I, I will wish that uh, uh, 
maybe it's going to sound very critical, but it, it is what it is. I mean, I would like that the discourses on integration and inclusion and opening in our field in relation to minorities uh, were a bit more than discourses. I mean, I would like to see more action from this part, you know. I have been in, in academia since I was 26. I'm 42, unfortunately. Uh, and although there, there is, you know, of course, progress, you have seen that. Uh, the internationalization of the field, uh, and maybe this is related to your previous, previous question, uh, and the actual integration um, only happen in specific cases. And they tend to be more sort of used as exemplars of it. You know, it's still the exception more than the rule going back to discrimination, you can be even positively discriminated because, you know, <laughs> you are being, let's say, I mean, uh, not double standard or anything that don't just take in room, but it's just use because they need you, you know? I have feel that too. I mean, you know, um, it's typical thing with, uh, you know, um, when the field needs, uh, I say field just to, to to just to you know to make a connection with associations or journals, etc. So they need to justify that uh, they are inclusive in terms of race or gender, and they invite you uh, to be part of their uh, things. I don't know editorial boards or committees, awards, or and that's have happened to me and to a lot of others, especially if you are women and from a, a minority. Uh, <laughs> that's a classic thing, and I just, I just. I, I, I still remember, for example, when, um, and I, it was very funny because they were so honest with me that they say yes, just because of that. It was uh, 10 years ago, maybe. So uh, it was come, it's just Wolf and Don's back, I'm Frank Ezra coming to me. And, um, and they say, Claudia, how are you? ICA, whatever. Uh, and do you want to be part of um, the, uh, I don't know, journalism studies, uh, you know? Uh, award article award that it was the first year actually that they were going to do that and i look at them and i said why are you asking this to me just just like this because i'm a super smart you know an incredible scholar or because i am a woman i'm from latin america and you know the don't uh he took the lead and say well for the both <laughs> <laughs> and he was so honest with me that he said, okay, that's the correct answer. I agree. Uh, yeah, you have me. And, you know, so that's, yeah, that could happen a lot of time, but at least it was nice that he recognized it in my face. <laughs> it makes me feel much better. And also, um, uh, just, just to finish with this question, I would like to, to make maybe if, if I have these magical powers that you mentioned it. I would also like to, uh, you know, something to overcome this uh, language barrier that exists uh, between Latin American scholars and, you know, mainstream research in our in journalism and journalism or communication field in general. It's quite sad, as I said, when you, you see these differences and how these wonderful ideas just go away because, um, there's no one to understand. So it, it, I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's something that is urgent, but I also feel that we need a sort of, a, how can I say, 
supra institution, you know, especially when you work internationally, because how can you really take care of these things if you are from uh, Northwestern University, I'm from uh, Pontificia Universidad del Paraiso, etc. So, you know, how can we deal with this type of things? Who decides on this? And at the end, those who decide are not the ones that are supposed to decide in order to get this, you know, opening. So, I mean, not necessarily. So, uh, it's, it's a work in progress. I'm very optimistic, but I am very critical as well. And, um, and I hope that this, my wishes are gonna uh, come true <laughs> uh, sooner than later. <laughs> I, I, I hope so too. I mean, it's a great indication of your second wish that here we are, two people whose first language is in Spanish, um, who learned in, uh, as an adult. I learned that today that you learned English as an adult. I learned English when I was 26 or 27, I can remember, to come to this country a couple of years. This country means the US a couple of years later. Uh, it's a language that I very much love, but it's not my language. Um, and it's not yours, but here we are uh, having this conversation in English. Uh, if that is not a uh, an illustration of the power of a center periphery or mainstream and the rest, I don't know what it is. So Claudia, my friend, thank you so much for a super enlightening conversation. Thank you uh, to our listeners. Uh, for staying with us and I invite everybody to uh, tune again next week for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you very much. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.